Stay tuned to acure.org for the latest updates on the world's only conference dedicated to cardiac unloading and heart recovery. acure.org. You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to Heart Sounds for November 2023. I am your host, Shelley Wood, the managing editor at TCTMD, and this is the podcast where I bring you up to speed on some of the top news of the months gone by. The past four weeks have been a whirlwind of cardiovascular conferences, and yours truly was at all of them. For today's podcast, I am bringing you three separate interviews with program chairs or senior faculty from those meetings. I am including TCT, which technically was in October, but the second half of that meeting took place after our podcast aired last month, so you will get some TCT highlights this time around. I will follow that up with some hot button items from the American Heart Association scientific sessions and then London Valves. I convinced Ajay Curtinay of New York Presbyterian and Columbia University, as well as Juan Granada of the Cardiovascular Research Foundation, both in New York, to join me in the very last minutes of the TCT meeting in San Francisco. As many of you know, both the TCT Conference and TCTMD are produced by CRF, but I and my news team do plan out our editorial coverage separately, which is why I am always interested to hear what the conference chairs have to say as highlights. Okay, let's jump in, you two. I know you're exhausted, and I think while it's fresh in your minds, I want to hear some highlights. Let's hear from you first, Juan. So uh, day number one was, was really uh, unbelievable. This is the second year of the uh, MedTech Innovation Forum. Mm-hmm. That is in a space that we created to bring, um, you know, uh, science and research and innovation, but looking at it from a different perspective and actually adding to um, our community a different group of people, which are the ones who manage the business aspects of it, the regulatory aspects of it. Um, and. Um, is actually growing like crazy. I think it's one of the uh, fastest growing uh, programs that actually we have. Um, we got over 2,000 people that actually came. Great. Um, we had a, a place that was as big as one of the theaters and, and actually was packed most of the times. We had uh, uh, Dr. Calif was uh, one of the highlights and um, shared with us uh, very interesting data about the status of the uh, healthcare in the US. And we had the Shark Tank Innovation Competition. That was that, the biggest it's ever been. Yeah, right? and, and, and it was exciting. I mean, I'm so happy that we moved it because when it was part of the meeting, it was very well attended and exciting. But now this is in the middle of a main arena with like all these big companies yeah, it gets its, and its bankers. Sort of exactly. So, so it felt really, really, really good. And um, as part of that, group of sessions, we had only one clinical track that uh, day that we we called WorldLink. Yep. And uh, it's actually a nice concept because the concept was to get trials that were clinically relevant, led by regions, specific regions, but creating kind of um, a, a, a new perspective of what does it mean for you according to your needs? So yeah. the discussions were not about, oh, you know, the trial design was this, was that, but it was more about, okay, this is great about FFR, but I don't have FFR in my region, so what can we do? I mean, yeah, what type really, of thing? Yeah, it showcased the type yeah, of work being done regionally exactly. and the impact it's having. Yeah, I, I and thought it that was And it was a massive success. I think it was one of the most successful programs we, 
we Great. Had. Okay. So this is just day one. That's let's, only let's, day let's one. Get, um, let's get Ajay's opinion. Let's go the rest of the day. Well, I mean, we can't cover all of it. So, Ajay, a couple highlights. Obviously, some great clinical trials in there, but maybe those weren't your favorite things. Probably the press conference was your favorite. No, I, yeah, it was funny <laughs> when uh, one of the, uh, the reporters asked, uh, you know, I'm going to make this really simple. Like, why should we care? But the thing that was cool about the trials, I, we thought even grading them, was that there were a lot of reasons to care. And frankly, we got submissions in the coronary space, the structural space, the endovascular space um, that all um, potentially can lead to new device approvals, new therapeutic indications. Um, you know, you asked finally a DCB um, on the horizon. We have, you know, a therapy for aortic regurgitation. We had follow-on data on tricuspid valves, endovascular. Um, we have, you know, beyond resolving the paclitaxel controversy, we have potentially a bioabsorbable stent for Light, below the knee. Life so, BTK. Yeah. yeah, so I, you know, I think it was funny when we did, Juan, you remember, when we did the pre-meeting um, with a lot of reporters and such, um, there were questions, you know, what, were the trials good, were they not? And, you know, we thought they were good because we read all the submissions and we slotted them, but I didn't think they were going to be this good. And it was really nice to feel people clapping in the auditorium again. So she'll presented, um, Kadali presented um, Tricent 2, and people started clapping when they saw the, the, the results. It kind of felt old school a little bit that way. And maybe people are being nice to us because, you know, we're organizers, but I, we had a lot of, you know, it felt like TCT was back. Yeah. And that's kind of, I'm curious to hear your perspective, Shelley, as but to which is remarkable. That, I mean, one you know, thing is, um, the last day of the meeting, and actually have a big theater being where the uh, the science was presented today, being full. Yeah, I mean that really tells you that people yeah. really they were interested in in, uh, in the science presented uh, uh, today. Yeah, so what, what do you think, Sarah? You, you're, you're a yeah, veteran. Yeah, you on the spot, but I'm thinking one thing that jumped out at me was that there were two trials that enrolled more than I think 80 percent women. So yep. mm-hmm. you know, the, I think that's Viva, Viva. With the, and the um, tricuspid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I know those are the specific populations that are going to have small access for for TAVR or are faced with tricuspid disease. But you know, it's it jumps out at you when 100%. someone makes that point. Yeah. So yeah. I've never seen a slide that said 95 plus percent women and that was the case for Viva now small annulus that's what happens when that occurs and we'll see it also at the ACC but it's being SMART. studied right investigator initiated trial and yeah. yeah I feel like it's still coming back that I, I get that we've sort of moved on from COVID in many ways but there's still a bit of a, an excitement about seeing people there's certainly people I saw at this meeting that I didn't see last year who either we didn't cross paths or they didn't come Look, so I, enjoy I that. predict that if um, the environment, the political, social environment uh, normalizes um, in the future, that attendance will actually increase because if you actually look at the key countries that you know for us are not really working right now, China, India, uh, Middle East, Russia, we get an attendance that is comparable to 2019. Not, not there yet, but that tells me that there are more new people coming to the meeting that is compensating, you know, the gap that actually we have compared to the other uh, areas. So it's, it's actually quite interesting what is yeah. happening right now. Big highlight for me also is uh, now we're really starting to see some of the, um, you know, fellows, trainees and folks that like you remember from, you know, when literally they, they were like in training and they're now big stages presenting yeah. things. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. There was a guy, say. I forget his name, that presented in the press conference today, and I thought, that guy, he's a doctor? How is that possible? <laughs> but you know you're getting old when 
No. Oh, all right. He's a trainee. No, I know who he is. He but he did a, a great job. Yeah. He yeah. did. He had his he had his cards ready, and you remember that excitement from when you did it. It it was it was always nerve wracking, and you didn't think you belonged, and you got it done because you were prep you were prepared, and and you'd figure it out, and yeah, no, it was really good. But that signals a shift, and you and I have talked about this of more senior people. Um, helping their their junior faculty to present earlier and do that because we used to see the same faces all the time and, and you really notice that at this meeting that people are championing some of their younger colleagues. So that's because really we like cool to have to fun outside the meeting so we don't have enough stamina in it. So we, we have to promote that's other true. people. Right, that's Juan? true. I've heard a yeah, bit about this. Right. We won't. We won't. Uh, that's not. That's off the record. <laughs> we won't keep that. Look, I really appreciate you guys making time for this on the very last day in the last hour, pretty much. So thank you so much. I'll be seeing you again soon. Thanks, right, Phil. Thank you. Within two weeks of TCT, the TCTMD reporters were boarding planes and trains again, this time to Philadelphia for the AJ scientific sessions. I checked in with program co-chair Joanna Chickway of Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles for her most memorable moments of the meeting. Have a listen. So it's a couple weeks now since AHA. We're actually managing to do this after we both had a bit of a pause. But looking back, what were your highlights from this year's AHA meeting? So there were some really obvious major highlights, big, important, practice-changing studies and trials. The obvious place to start is the four New England Journal of Medicine late breakers. And I think, um, obviously, the trial of SELECT was was the biggest. So that's uh, obviously the very large multicenter um, double-blind randomized trial with 17,000 patients um, that were essentially overweight, so BMI greater than 27, but no history of diabetes were randomized to semaglutide and really a significant reduction in the risk of death, non-fatal MI and stroke out at um, 40 months. When the New York Times article dropped, it described standing room only at the hall. And I sort of thought that was a bit of an exaggeration and turned around just to take a look. And like, literally, it was probably 30 deep standing at, at, you know, at the back of the hall in a capacity yeah. of 5,000. This, so. is, this is what I thought was interesting, because um, as we were saying before I started recording, we knew the top line results from this trial. But I think people really wanted to get into the nitty gritty to understand just how losing weight medically could lead to those type of cardiovascular effects. So much as I wouldn't want to send people to go read the New York Times coverage because Todd Neal did a very nice job on TCTMD with this. But you're right, he that, that article captured the flavor of the mood, which was packed. Um, and it's nice to see a really packed auditorium at a late breaking clinical trial session again, because coming back from COVID, you know, people are excited to see these things. But that was a busy one for sure. And I think that it really speaks to the value of a meeting. Like, it's absolutely great to be able to read the full study on the New England Journal of Medicine website. But what the meeting allows you to do is interact and ask questions of the study investigators. And the deep dive session afterwards was absolutely packed because that was the point at which um, you could explore the things that couldn't go in the article, sort of hypothesize about why this drove such a risk reduction, even in advance of substantial weight loss. Those curves separate out really early um, and really ask questions about how we implement this, particularly given the cost of the medication, how we improve access. And what I was very proud of in that session, the, the late breaking session where the trial was presented was really ensuring that balance of population health, um, a really informed approach to implementation of this trial and 
really enhancing access, uh, understanding what the barriers will be and what the concerns may be in terms of not just access, but cost and safety. Yeah, because this is a very expensive medication. It's already hard to get your hands on it for people that are trying, whether they have diabetes or obesity indications. And yet the inequities that we already see in the United States healthcare system are only going to be widened unless something happens with drug pricing or access. So yeah, that'll be future news coverage, I'm sure. Let's talk about a couple other trials, perhaps. Any others that really stand out for you that might make a difference in day-to-day practice? Well, certainly as a surgeon, it's always comfortable to move away from predominantly pharmaceutical trials to maybe ones that are a little bit more about intervention. And uh, there there were a few very interesting ones. I I think that the randomized trial that looked at um, PCI in patients with stable angina um, and the control was essentially a sham intervention was phenomenal. It's phenomenal for a lot of reasons. Um, Essentially only 300 patients randomized, um, but really saw a distinct difference in terms of PCI resulting in lower angina symptom scores compared to a sham intervention. And that is a really helpful counterpoint to the ischemia study. It's one of the first times that we've really clearly shown a benefit from a sort of targeted lesion approach in angina. I think it has implications not just for percutaneous, but also for surgical revascularization. Two essentially being able to conduct a a trial with a sham intervention. Um, And there was a lot of discussion about the ethics of the cessation of antianginal therapy in order to enroll patients and exposing them to um, a non-therapeutic intervention. And then three, the authorship. So the senior author essentially allowed the fellows involved in this trial to present, yes, not just at the late breaking, but I think also at the deep dive. And amongst the first three authors are the fellows that really ran this trial. And I think that's a really valuable role model. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's been covering cardiovascular meetings for over 20 years now, you see the same senior people, and we don't need to describe what their faces look like, for Rasha Alame to make the decision to have her fellow present that data, to share the limelight for Orbita 2. And I think it's interesting, they're really pushing hard to not have it be called sham controlled. They want it to be placebo controlled because a sham sort of suggests something shady, I think. So when in our news coverage, we actually took out some shams and and put some placebos in. Was there another intervention one you wanted to mention? Well, I think the other that now, not in so much intervention, but the other tuning of Journal of Medicine um, trials. So the other one was the Artesia investigator trial of subclinical AFib and looking at whether apixaban or aspirin gave a sort of safer outcome. And this is in 4,000 patients and essentially apixaban did result in a lower risk of stroke or systemic embolism than aspirin, but came with a high risk of bleeding, sort of 55 versus 86 events in a 4,000 patient study. So that was interesting to see. And then going back to broader, was looking at uh, transfusion strategy. So this was a trial in sort of 3,000 patients where with acute myocardial infarction, trying to see if a restrictive transfusion strategy with a target hemoglobin of seven to eight grams per deciliter was safer than one of 10 grams per deciliter. And again, no significant difference. And that's a trial where I think it's, you, you can use whatever your uh, strategy is to sort of justify it. But 99, 9.9% of the patients in the restrictive strategy versus 8.3 in the liberal strategy had um, experienced mortality in that trial. So maybe restrictive is reasonable because that didn't reach statistical significance. 
Yeah, you and I talked about that in the hallway right after the press conference. I'd totally forgotten about that one, but blood is not an endless um, resource. So a trial like this that showed non-inferiority, even though there was a hint that there might have been some benefit to not using that restrictive strategy, it, it really does put the decision-making perhaps back in the hands of, of the physicians in terms of what their circumstances are and, and what they can be prepared to do perhaps. That's a great way of framing it. It also highlights the challenges of trying to organize a trial specifically in the patient population post-surgery or post-procedures that you might want to understand that question because that gives you an idea of the numbers required and the, the, the type of investment that it would need. So I think it's a useful surrogate for actually a much broader range perhaps of patients than the bread and butter AMI patients um, coming in through the ED. Yeah. Okay. I can't keep you here all day. You're a very busy person, but anything else you want to say more generally about the meeting? I did have one session I was going to ask you about, but perhaps you didn't attend it. But I thought the AHA did a really nice job of bringing people together to talk about the controversy over revascularization guidelines. There was a surgeon in that session. There were interventionalists in that session. I wasn't there. Were you? So yes, and I again, that speaks to, it's wonderful to read guidelines and papers on journal websites, but there is so much to be gained from being in the room when a lot of this material is di being discussed. And you're oftentimes you're at the genesis of new approaches. And my take home from the guideline discussions was that the, certainly the American Heart Association has an appetite to really adopt a inclusive, professionalized approach that is really going to address some of the constraints that we experienced in, in really developing truly multidisciplinary guidelines that really reflect not just the, the key sort of patient aspects. And there was a real emphasis broadly at the meeting on patient reported outcomes, but also addresses specialties which may be numerically smaller, but are very important um, sources of treatment modalities that need to be really sort of, I think, included in a more nuanced way than the traditional guideline process has allowed. So a real appetite to address some of the concerns and, and challenges that we've encountered. Stepping back, though, it just goes sort of along with this message of engagement. We really designed this meeting, and I think um, Amit really takes a great deal of credit for this, to really enhance the amount of engagement that attendees could have with investigators at every single level. We extended the length of the sessions to include more time for discussion. We um, developed more deep dive sessions. And I, I think you saw that um, throughout. And the last thing I would say was really trying to use all of the space in between for early career sessions to enhance A, just early science, but also early career development and allow people to come together, share challenges, find mentors and, and network. And the last thing, and it's probably the most inspiring thing about the meeting, was just the quality of the breakout science, seeing the first in man stuff, um, the gene editing for familial hypercholesterolemia, first in man, think 11 patients. That stuff is sort of really the stuff of the future. So um, really a phenomenal meeting, a ton of great feedback. And we're very interested to see what we can build on, see what we can change for 2024. Well, thank you so much for telling us a bit about it here today. And hopefully I will see you back there at AHA in 2024, as you say. I look forward yes. to that. Uh, that's you. a centennial meeting. So hopefully it'll be uh, genuinely exciting. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. Gosh, they come around quickly, but centennial. OK, I'll have to be there. <laughs> thank you again. Thanks, Shelley. Bye. Less than a week after AHA, I was tapping in for PCR London valves at the Excel Centre in East London. 
At this meeting, course director Bernard Prendergast of Cleveland Clinic London can typically be spotted in three places simultaneously, so I was grateful for the 10 minutes I got to spend with him in the last few hours of London Valves. Here's a little bit of that conversation. Thank you so much for meeting at this point. We can actually hear the session still going on in the background, so I feel very lucky that you snuck away to talk to me. Uh, tell me, this meeting you had designed as if there had to be the magic of threes, three valves, three medical specialties involved. Uh, how has that panned out for you? Well, let's start with another three, which is over 3,000. So there have been over 3,500 people here, in fact. It's been a hugely successful meeting. Congratulations. And a very busy period. As you say, um, we've always had this notion of three days, but we've built on that in the last two years with the theme of three, because we have three disciplines who contribute to our field, interventional cardiologists, surgeons, and imaging specialists. Yeah. And we choose to focus on three valves, the aortic mitral tricuspid. So it's a nice little metaphor that we use to to shape the whole thing. our discussions. Of course. I found uh, I was putting pressure on myself to make sure that we had coverage of all three valves. How am I going to do that? But in many ways, this is a meeting that's not just about data, but about a lot of discussion. Before we started recording, I said to you that I end up learning so much here that not necessarily is news, but at least helps me make news decisions down the road. Tell me, though, what your highlights were, some standout sessions. So I think it's a theme of our meeting is that we're able to reflect on other data points during the calendar. We're towards the end of the year, we yeah. have big meetings throughout the year, and we have the opportunity to digest the key talking points and developments. I think for me the, 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 the key topics have been our focus on second time TAVI procedures. There's been a lot of focus TAV on TAV. lifetime journey over the last year or two uh, in relation to aortic stenosis and of course the the ultimate uh, denouement of that is the, the second time TAVI procedure, TAV and TAV, as you say. Mm -hmm. And we've learned uh, with our discussions and our early experiences that these procedures are far more challenging than we perhaps thought they were initially. We need to know a lot about the valves that we are uh, implanting within, yeah. the platform of the original procedure, as it were. Uh, and we need to have an understanding of the specific details of each device so that when we put a second device inside them, we are ensuring a good result second time round and also that we're not causing major complications, including coronary obstruction. So there's been a lot of focus on that and that fits uh, neatly also with important discussions around the durability of the original TAVI devices. So we had data from TCT uh, just two months ago yeah, not Point, even. Mm -hmm. Pointing out the four and five year durability of the Evolute platform and the Sapien 3 platform at follow-up. Uh, that ignited a lot of discussion and conjecture and it was an important opportunity at London Vows to reflect on that and what it means for practice. Yeah, I was in that session. You certainly had some big name speakers, of course. You had Dr. Leon and Dr. Reardon, but you also had these cube microphones. That I literally thought, if that microphone gets thrown at me, what am I going to say? But um, you were pretty strategic about where those were thrown, I guess. But in that session particularly, we were a little strategic because the conversation could have gone on too long, firstly. Definitely. It was a short newsflash session. Yeah. And also, uh, we wanted to make sure that the key messages were retained rather than laying it open for too much uh, speculation, shall we Dissection. say. Dissection. But this is what I had to get my mind around, is actually you were addressing speculation that had been occurring since those trials. 
came out. So we, we saw the, the five-year and the four-year, as you say, and, well, I should put the question to you. Why well, did you want to showcase these uh, and sort of settle the controversy? I think the, the important point was that the both trials were very positive for TAVI as a procedure uh, in comparison with surgery, and also we were able to demonstrate the durability of both valve platforms. Uh, what we did see amongst the wider community was conjecture and speculation about what else we can read into the results by comparing the trials. Right. But as we very strongly pointed out in the session from a statistical and methodological viewpoint, it's invalid to do that because the, uh, the comparators are not there and the power is not there within the trials. And Peter Uni is a very distinguished uh, trial designer and epidemiologist made that message very, very clear. Yeah, he was fantastic. Although we may think that these are big trials by our uh, standards, the numbers actually are relatively small. And certainly you cannot perform these comparisons across trials when they are with different devices. And also different uh, surgery practices as the comparator, different valves, Dr. Capadano made this point, dif different valves, different um, surgeons, of course, implanting them. But yeah, I, I'm hoping to do a story on that session. So perhaps by the time the podcast has aired, people can go and, and read about what that looks like. Okay, last thing, what are you going to take home for perhaps your practice or your research from this meeting? I think we, we have learned a lot about mitral and tricuspid intervention this meeting. Uh, there's been a lot of focus on imaging. Yeah. We, we recognize that our imaging specialists are very much at the heart of these procedures, forgive the pun. <laughs> they direct the interventionists as to where the device should or shouldn't be implanted. They allow us to refine the implantation and uh, have a second, uh, either a second device or a second re-implant uh, with the recapturable devices before final release. So that is driving excellent clinical outcomes. It's more than just putting in uh, an edge-to-edge -edge repair device. It's about making sure the result is perfect or as perfect as is anatomically possible right. to ensure that we translate into the best clinical outcomes for patients. And we only achieve that by this synergy of the imaging within the procedure. Yeah. Yeah, I um, certainly learned a lot in terms of comparing. Uh, it's, the tricuspid space seems to be moving so much faster than the mitral has for years. But you, the, the residual TR that you see with the clip device, for example, is, is not the kind of thing that um, surgeons would have wanted to have as a final result. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I'm going to let you get back to it here. Thank you so much for making time for this. And uh, who knows, maybe I will be back again next year. Thank you, Shelley. I hope so. That is that for the November edition of Heart Sounds. Head to TCTMD's conference tab to find in-depth coverage of all the trials and sessions that made headlines over the last few weeks. That's where you'll also find slides and video interviews on all the key topics and studies. Hopefully many Heart Sounds listeners got a bit of a break during the US Thanksgiving holiday last week. I myself enjoyed a few quiet days to recover from London valves and wade into the morass that my email inbox has become. I actually marked my eighth year with TCTMD last month, which boggles my mind. When I first joined CRF, I suppose I wasn't sure if it would be a good fit for me or how long I'd last here. 
If, like my U.S. colleagues, I am tallying the things I'm thankful for this month, I will tell you that I am hugely grateful to have worked with the best cardiology journalists in the business, backed up by fantastic content and multimedia teams, as well as leadership that has continued to support independent journalism wherever we have taken it. There are more changes afoot for TCTMD. Please keep in touch to tell us what we're doing right and where we could do better. You can reach all of us via our bio pages on tctmd.com. But we are not quite through 2023 just yet. I hope you'll tune in next month. It has become an annual tradition for me to thrust my microphone at each of the TCTMD reporters, in turn, asking them to name their most memorable pieces of the year. We have a couple other fun plans to round out the year on TCTMD as well, so bookmark our website and subscribe to our newsletters to learn more. Heart Sounds drops on the last Wednesday of every month. Hope to see you back here in December. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rock's Heart Radio with Dr. Roxanna Moran. All new episodes are available on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud.